My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors, and I'm here to help celebrate the fact that we are family today. And uh, we started this journey a few weeks ago, and uh, we're looking at this little section of Scripture in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus is giving his final words to the disciples. And in these words, we're discovering a lot more about what that kind of family looks like. And the first week, J.R. talked about this abiding, like in the same way that a branch abides in a vine and draws life, so we must abide in Christ. And we talked about different spiritual practices like uh, Bible, Bible reading, prayer, solitude, fasting, meditation, memorization. There's lots of different spiritual practices that help us abide in Christ and abide in his word. And then last week, we looked at the spiritual practice of friendship. And we discovered this great, beautiful truth about how Jesus is our friend. He wants to be our friend and how we can abide in that and how that changes our friendships with each other. And today we're going to look at the spiritual practice of trusting in the Holy Spirit. Um, We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but this is actually a a core uh, identity that we have as God's people. And I'd like you to listen to that as we listen to the next little portion of Scripture. So we're going to start in John 15, verse 26, and then we're going to move into chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair there, or um, open up your, your cell phone or your iPad to that. John chapter 15. So we're in the New Testament, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, starting of chapter 15, verse 26. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples as he's preparing to leave them. John 15, 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the Prince of this world This world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Earlier this week, I was dinking around in my backyard, and I think I was getting ready to put some food out in the bird feeders, and I slipped and fell. And as I was laying there on my back, I was thinking, 
it's amazing to me how quickly a person can go from being vertical to being horizontal. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, it happens in a second. That's my first thought. And then my second thought is, is anybody looking? And so I got up real quick and did one of these, I'm okay, things, but nobody was around. Now, later in the week, I was thinking about this little slip and fall, and it got me reflecting about how easy it is in this world to stumble. And now I'm not talking about uh, actual physical fall. I'm thinking about the kinds of things that happen when somebody appears to be cruising through life absolutely vertical, everything is going great in their life, there's no problems, and then in a moment they can fall. And it can be something like a health crisis or it can be a relationship breakdown or it could be some kind of crisis or natural disaster or some kind of economic downturn or some unexpected tragedy or some moral failure or some bad choices or maybe sometimes it just looks like just dumb luck and people are flat on their backs. And it got me thinking that it is awful easy to get tripped up in this life, that there's a lot of things that can bring us down. Am I, am I speaking the truth about this? Does, this? does this sound right? That it's easy to stumble and fall. So that raised the question, what do we do when life trips us up? What do we do when these moments take our feet out from underneath us and land us on our back? Or maybe a, a, even a better question might be this, What can we do before we trip and fall to prepare us for that when it's coming? And that's what I want us to reflect on this morning. And as I was thinking about this, I was also watching some videos that were from our 50th anniversary as a church, which was a few years ago. And as I was listening to some of the conversations on these videos, I thought I heard someone answering this question of what do we do in order to prepare for those times when life takes our feet out from under us. So I wanted to show you this little clip, and I want you to listen to see if you can hear the answer to that question in this clip. What do we do when life trips us up? We went over to see what was going on, and there was probably 20 people there, maybe, the first Sunday, and it was just a basement. lot of fun together, we worshiped together, we worked hard together, and we just continued to grow as Cedar Hills grew. in the 60s we had our children and uh, so then we're involved with um, the Sunday school program okay the little piece of the clip I wanted you to hear was right after they cut it off right there so I'll have to go back and re-edit that uh, thing a little bit but right after this somebody gets on and says we just did life together we just did life together and I got to thinking about the DNA of a church and I got to thinking about what was kind of at the base of our DNA as a church and it was this little community of people just a handful of people and they all lived 
kind of in the same neighborhood. One of the things that surprised me when I came to this church was how many people lived in the same neighborhood. And people would tell me, oh, so-and-so used to live in that house, and then right across the street lived so-and-so, and right across the street lived so-and-so. These were like neighbors. They like did life together. And as they lived life together, that became part of their kind of core identity, this little community that was gathered around that little church building down there on Gordon Avenue. And I got to thinking about part of that was they just loved each other. And I know that as I listened to some of the other comments from some of the leaders and read through some of the old documents from the origination of the church, it was like, yeah, they wanted to reach the community, but the way they reached the community was by loving their neighbors. And pretty soon they had this identity that started to shape them. They just loved each other deeply and the church started to grow. And this is at the kind of core DNA of our church. Now we think DNA shapes us, and not just in the moment, but it also kind of shapes us toward the future. It can kind of be predictive of what's going to come. I remember the first time I didn't really get this concept, but I experienced something that later made me think about this. When I was a little kid, I was walking around my dad's hometown which was Laota, Minnesota. And I was walking around with my two brothers, and this lady that none of us had ever met before came up to us and she said, you're Landheises, right? And that was kind of surprising, and we said, yeah. And then she said, you're Henry Landheises, right? And there was five brothers, and she had properly identified which brother we came from, and we had no idea who this lady was. Later, we found out that this same woman had watched my dad grow up walking around these streets. And there was something about the way the Landheises posture, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we look, that they could see this is part of our DNA, right? It's wired into us as people. And we all know that this is true. We've heard lots of things about this nowadays, of how that your DNA, the way you're wired, can determine you know, whether you're, whether you're good-looking or whether you have heart disease, whether you have longevity or whether you have baldness, Right? This is part of what's wired into us, into our DNA. And that makes me think, if it's true for families, is it also true for churches? Is there something that gets wired into us as a community, as people, that shapes us as we move forward? And I definitely think that's true when I look back to those um, kind of early founders of our congregation, those charter members and those early people who were part of that little band of uh, a church that said, We're going to do life together. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to follow Jesus in this way. And that has shaped us up until now. And that got me wondering even more. If we would actually trace this family tree now back past those founding members and go farther back on our family tree and see if that has anything to do with it. So what if we would go back to the the, maybe the root or the very base of our family tree and look at the very first disciples the very first people who followed Christ and see how they followed Christ and see if that DNA is still present in shaping us today. And this brings us back to John chapter 15 and 16. Here are the very first followers of Jesus Christ. This would be the base of our tree, right? They're the first ones who became a little band of disciples and they, Jesus collected them together and then they followed Jesus and all these years now, these three years, they've been walking with Jesus and being shaped by Jesus, being inspired by Jesus, being moved. And now Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be here to help you anymore. And as we mentioned last week, this could be a little scary, couldn't it? And very sad. 
Because these disciples on a few occasions have had an opportunity to see what it would look like if they would go stand on their own, stand without Jesus. Remember when Jesus sent out the 12 and when he sent out the 72? He's like, I'm going to stay here. You go carry out the mission. And they were not completely successful. They could not really stand on their own. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you completely. But, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. In these passages, we read about this promise that there is going to be one who comes to stand with them, the Holy Spirit. Look back at the passage in John 15. When the advocate comes, now advocate's an interesting word here. It's the word that means, um, you know, like a judge advocate. When you have somebody who's your advocate in a law, court of law, this is a person who stands next to you when you're being accused of whatever you're being accused of, and they are going to defend you no matter what. They're your advocate. They're on your side. The advocate is one who stands with you. No matter what happens, they stand by your side. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And this I have told you so that you will not stumble. And I've been thinking a lot about that first verse in chapter 16. This I have told you so that you will not, some translations say fall away, some translations say trip you up, some translations say stumble. I'm giving you this Holy Spirit so you don't fall flat on your face. So you don't fall down. So you don't go from being vertical to being horizontal in this world. Jesus promises that this spirit is going to come. Now, if it's sad for these disciples that the spirit, that Jesus is leaving them, the next little part of this passage maybe makes them even more sad or, or maybe freaks them out a little bit because he says, not only am I going to leave you, but there is going to be trouble coming. The world hated me, Jesus says, the world's going to hate you. There's going to be trouble coming. You're going to face all kinds of hardships. You're going to face persecution. He says, there's going to be people who come and they will kill you and they will say, I did this for the sake of God. I did this in the name of God. This is hardship that's coming. Can you imagine these disciples as they're walking along with Jesus, everything's going just fine, and then all of a sudden they get this news not only is Jesus leaving, but there's going to be a great difficulty coming flat on their back. But Jesus does not leave them alone. He leaves them with the Holy Spirit who comes just as he's prom promised. And when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, this is the kind of thing that you can expect from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will fortify you when you face trials. The Spirit will lead you into truth. The Spirit will guide you and show you the right path. The Spirit will give you conviction about what is right and wrong. The Spirit will give you power to obey, power to follow, power to resist temptation. The Holy Spirit will give you an assurance of God's presence. So even though I have left you, Jesus says, the Spirit is going to give you an assurance that God is still with you. The Spirit will give you hope even in the face of persecution and martyrdom. The Holy Spirit will abide with you and the Holy Spirit will come when I leave. This is what Jesus promises them. And this is exactly what happens. 
If you continue to follow the story of these first disciples of Jesus, the Holy Spirit does come. The Holy Spirit does empower them and fortify them and guide them and empower them and lead them into places they would never go by themselves. And whatever happens to these disciples to trip them up, that leaves them on the back, there's one person always standing right next to them, and that's the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. This is exactly what happens. This is our DNA as a family. We have this same Holy Spirit. I don't know if that information helps you. Does that information help? I don't know if anyone here has ever felt like the world is against them, ever felt like you were flat on your back, ever felt like you were about to get tripped up, or brought down, stumble, fall. Our DNA says that we have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, who's always standing with us no matter what happens in this world. And that's part of what makes us a family. I want you to think for just a minute about John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist? He came as the one who was going to prepare the way for Jesus. He came announcing, it's not me that you should look at, it's the one who's coming after me that you should look at. And when John the Baptist came, he predicted that the Holy Spirit would come in, in powerful ways when Jesus comes to do his ministry. He predicted that this would be the thing to look for, and he always downplayed his own baptisms and his own ministry. He said, you're supposed to look forward to the ministry of one who's greater than me, look forward to the ministry of Jesus, look forward to the baptism that Jesus will bring. Over and over again, John the Baptist seems to be saying this, the, this, the Holy Spirit fireworks are about to happen. Be ready. It's coming. And it will be from Jesus who baptizes people, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. So John pointed to Jesus and basically said, you ain't seen nothing yet. This stuff is about to come. And then Jesus shows up. And John points to him, and G Jesus comes forward, and he steps into the water, and John baptizes Jesus. And then what happens? The heaven opens up and the Spirit comes down upon Jesus and Jesus begins his ministry. But then a funny thing happens. In his ministry, Jesus hardly ever talks about the Holy Spirit. You could count on one hand the number of times that Jesus actually talks about the Holy Spirit in his ministry. And he doesn't baptize anyone. And this is such a surprising thing to John the Baptist that one time he has to actually send a messenger to Jesus and he asks him this question, are you the one who has come or should we look for someone else? Because John was expecting more spirit and maybe more fireworks from Jesus. Now John 16 comes to us and this is the hands down the longest treatment about the Holy Spirit in all of the Gospels. If you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, this is a passage that we should study carefully. Here we discover that John the Baptist was actually right, that the Holy Spirit is actually central to Jesus' ministry ongoing, but that it actually doesn't happen till Jesus leaves. So John the Baptist got the timing wrong a little bit. This is something that's supposed to unfold when Jesus would go away. And some people have kind of referred to this as like divine tag team, like God sends Jesus to carry out his mission. Jesus completes his mission, and then he taps out by tapping the Holy Spirit, who then comes. 
And we see that this is exactly how it plays itself out. As soon as Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. And maybe you picture the disciples standing on that hill as Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're told to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, there again, the promise, the Holy Spirit will come and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, but the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. But then in the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples with great power and these once timid, fearful disciples who were hiding kind of in the shadows step forward into this massive crowd and Peter preaches the first Christian sermon and proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and calls for repentance and 3,000 people come to repentance and the church is born by the power of the Holy Spirit on that day. And this is at the base of our tree. This is part of our DNA. And then if you follow this forward throughout the rest of the book of Acts, 42 different times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they are emboldened and empowered and guided and persevered and protected and, and carried on and they move the mission of God forward by the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them. And this is our family tree. That same spirit that fell upon Jesus falls upon the disciples and then that same spirit falls on us. So I read a bunch of commentators on this to brush up, and I came across one who had some fascinating ways of describing the work of the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to read some of the ways he describes this work of the Spirit with God's people. He said, The Holy Spirit is the conduit through which flows all power and riches of God. The Holy Spirit is the jumper cables that re-infuse us when our batteries run low. The Holy Spirit is the cosmic water main through which the cleansing tide of forgiveness flows to wash away sins. The Holy Spirit is the refiner's fire that burns away every impurity to make us holy. The Holy Spirit is the refreshing rain that falls to quench our thirst and revive our spirits. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast broadcasting the truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the wise guide who shows us the way to go when we are lost. The Holy Spirit is the advocate who stands with us when we fall. This same spirit that fell on Jesus, the same spirit that fell on those disciples, that same spirit falls on us. Use whatever image you want to think about this promise. Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. When I leave, the Holy Spirit will fall on you. That's what Jesus promises. This is our DNA. This is what makes our family tree the way our family tree is today. It's wired into us as God's people. I like the promise that Paul gives us in Romans 15. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I walk through this life and realize how easy it can be to trip and fall, to stumble, I need hope. I need someone who will walk with me and bring joy and bring peace and help me realize the power of God at work in me so that I can have hope in the face of whatever comes. We are family who trust in the Holy Spirit and we are filled with hope no matter what this world would throw at us. 
Now, I enjoy, maybe as some of you do, uh, from time to time looking back at um, photo albums. And when we were home at Christmas, I got my mom hauled out some old photo albums. We got to kind of look through them. One thing that always fascinates me when I'm doing this is the, the, it seems like photo albums don't hold up so well. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, and it doesn't really matter if it's the, the sticky cellophane pages or if it's the uh, rubber cement. Sometimes they actually cemented the pictures in, and sometimes they use those little sticky corner things, those little white sticky corner things. It doesn't seem to matter what form they used in these photo albums. It, they don't stick anymore. And so you pick up a book, and all these pictures come cascading out on the bottom. And what you thought was going to be kind of like an orderly stroll through your life now becomes kind of a little puzzle, a little mystery, trying to figure out who, which, which picture goes in which order and what happened when. And that got me thinking about the glue that holds us together as families. Is there a glue that makes us a family and keeps us together as a family? And of course, I first started thinking about my own family, and I was thinking about uh, the, the fact that the glue in my family is pretty strong, and the family I grew up in. It, we're, we're held together pretty close. And then I got to thinking about my own kids, and thinking about the glue that holds me together with them. And I was thinking about a few times when my kids have been tripped up by the world, and faced some personal tragedies that caused them to go flat on their backs. And that made me think about um, a few trips, some in the middle of the night, to go see my kids when they are flat on their backs in the midst of a tragedy. And uh, lots of inconvenient times these things happen, and you have to go check on their well-being and find out how they're doing and listen to their laments about whatever has happened and, and sometimes just sit there and cry with them. And usually at some point in this visit, there's um, comments that comes out kind of like this, like, thanks for coming, thanks for being there, thanks for listening, you know, thanks for being my dad. Uh, Travis often says, you're the best dad I've ever had. Um, and these comments always come with what sounds to me almost like a little bit of surprise. Like, thanks for coming. I'm surprised you came again in the midst of this thing. And my response is always the same. You're family. You're my kid. Why wouldn't I come? Because that's what you do, right? That's the glue that holds family together. And that got me thinking about the church family. And what holds us together as a church family? What is the glue that holds us together? And I've got to confess that sometimes it seems like the glue that holds church families together is like those little sticky corners that they don't hold forever. It seems like stuff pulls churches apart, like there's things that, differences of opinion and stuff happens and pretty soon we bail on the church or we, at least we bail on that particular church and we move on to the next one, that there's not so much glue. But I've actually been really impressed with our family because I think part of our DNA as the family of God in this church is to have pretty good glue, to stick together through thick and thin and to stay together. And I got to thinking about what it is that does that. Well, I think we stick together because we have a common mission, that we have this sense of like, you know what? Since day one, we want to reach Cedar Rapids. That's how the church started. This is part of our DNA. 
We stick together because we recognize that we're brothers and sisters. This is part of our DNA too, right? We're, we're big on saying we're, we're in Christ and we all trust in Christ. So if you trust in Christ and I trust in Christ, that makes you my sister. That makes you my brother. We recognize that. We stick together because we're neighbors. We live in the same community and we love each other and we love our neighbors and we care each, for each other. And as we heard last week, we stick together because we're friends and friends stick together. That's what we do. But the only reason why we know any of this is true, that God is our Father, that Jesus is our brother, that we're neighbors, that we're friends, the only reason we know any of that is true is because what? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't know that. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't stick together. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't trust each other. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't move forward in mission. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't have power for any of this, and you don't have any understanding of this. The Holy Spirit leads us into all of that. The same Spirit that came on Jesus, the same Spirit that came on his disciples, that same Spirit comes on us, and that Spirit makes us family. And there's nothing that can ever change that. And that's the glue that sticks together. So I'm hoping that as a community we can learn a little more about what does it mean for us to engage in the spiritual practice of trusting the Holy Spirit to make us family. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and I want to give you thanks because we know that you are the God who loves us and we know that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us, and we know that we have the gift of your Holy Spirit to guide us into all that truth. And we thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.